0: Kevin Markwick.
1: One, oh five.
2: that's a Bingo. <laughs>
3: Dave Gilmore, you know, everybody knows that. Kate Bush from nineteen seventy eight. Oh, man, I love Kate Bush. So here we are then, it's Kevin Markwick, let's, um, let's get on with it. It's not Kevin Markwick doing the music, I'm Kevin Markwick. And it's 1978. So in honour of what basically was an entire year belonging to John Travolta, we're going to start with some funky disco music from the soundtrack of Saturday Night Fever. which was uh, one of the big hits of 1978. So that's what we're doing. Uh, If you've been following the show, you will know that um, I own the cinema in Upfield, the picture house. And I've been there since I was two years old. Obviously I wasn't running it when I was two years old. That would be ridiculous. However, I did grow up in a cinema, so what I thought in this season of 13 shows, I would take you through the decade, one year at a time. Yeah, the the, the clever ones amongst you obviously have realized that uh, there's only 10 years in a decade, bait. So we still haven't quite worked out what to do with the last three any suggestions let me know at kevin markwick on uh, twitter or the kevin markwick show facebook page so have you got the hang of what we're doing because this is like show nine or something so if you've just joined us where have you been go to the podcast, uh, stick it in a search engine and you can podcast the whole lot from the beginning. Enjoy my voyage through puberty, because I I was born in 62, so 78, I was approaching 16. It was a difficult and confusing time. So 1978, Anna Ford becomes the first female newsreader, which seems awfully late to me. That seems, I mean, really? It's terrible. Um, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is first broadcast by Radio 4. Nottingham Forest win the first division title for the first time in their history and the first test tube baby was born. So in Upfield, I'm 15, going on 16, and there was all sorts of interesting shenanigans going on down at our cinema. Going on all over the place, really. I'm trying to work out, was it my last year at school? No, it wasn't quite. Maybe. No, I was in the fourth year, yeah? Would that be right? Help me out here. First year of O-Levels, CSEs. They were what we did in the olden days. Ironically, uh, 1978 saw a spike in admissions nationally and in Uckfield as well. From an all-time low of 103 million nationally, it went up a bit to 126 million for the year. Again basically due to John Travolta and ABBA. Some things never change. In Uckfield, we'd hit a new low in 1977 of 37,000 emissions, but 1978 saw us hit the heady heights of 51,000. Yeah. Probably give a, a good job, given how much my dad was about to spend on converting the cinema to two screens, because obviously we only had uh, one screen at the time. Sadly, it actually did put pay to my O-level results. <laughs> as what was going on at the cinema was way more interesting than going to school but don't don't take my lead kids go to school now the star wars disappointment as uh, as i now call it <laughs> was in full effect at the start of the year uh, basically everyone was playing star wars except us refer to last week's show for the full story Uh, We will come on to Star Wars later, though. Uh, The first significant bit of business in 1978 was at February half-term. A new Disney cartoon was an event, and it had been uh, four years since the last, Robin Hood. The Rescuers was a critical and commercial success. Uh, A kidnapped orphan is saved by the Mouse-based Rescue Aid Society. Yeah. Yeah new featuring Rob Newhart, uh, Bob Newhart sorry and Eva Gabor who had voiced Duchess in the Aristocats. Uh, what would that be eight years previously It set us off in Uckfield actually on a two-week admissions Bonanza. Feb half term was always a license to print money and a brand new cartoon was Manor from Heaven 2119 admissions. Yeah, for seven days on February the 12th. And here's the rather affecting, I have to say, opening song from The Rescuers. Shelby Flint singing uh, the song The Journey by Carol Connors and Ayan Robbins used on the opening credits actually of The Rescuers if you remember when the um, you know bottle the message in a bottle the little girl sends over the boat and finally ends up in New York Uh, so when we come back (laughs) the following week was even more mental Now's the
1: time for ice cream. Now, now, now. Now's the time for ice cream. Now, now, now. Cool, cool ice cream. Now's the time for ice cream. Have some now.
3: ABBA from ABBA the movie imaginatively titled that it was ABBA (laughs) who will follow me to my grave two things will survive nuclear war cockroaches and ABBA songs it's difficult to describe actually a few things this week that are difficult to describe Uh, how popular ABBA were at the time. And some sort of presence in the cinema was inevitable. Uh, And that was a song called Eagle, I believe. Uh, Billed as a documentary, the whole thing was simply an excuse to show ABBA in concert. Uh, Wrapped around a rather thin plot about a radio DJ uh, trying and constantly failing to get an interview with the uh, Fab Four as they tour Australia. Um, the most interesting thing about it is that it was directed by Lasse Hallstrom, the Swedish director who made, uh, their videos actually. They, uh, because they were kind of so globally popular, they were one of the first bands that had to do, um, videos for Top of the Pops. You know all this, those 16mm videos where they're looking this way and he's looking that way and she's looking that way and then they all turn and then they look in the other way and then there's snow and, uh, everybody loves it. Um... Yes, Uh, he would actually go on and make a lot of feature films, actually. Some rubbish, some great. Uh, My Life as a Dog, which was brilliant. Chocolat. Mm. And Salmon Fishing in the Yemen, which was a huge hit in Uckfield back in 2000 and Durf de Durf. Uh, and the other thing about it is it played on date. Uh, this is what's happening. We're getting more films on date. Uh, February the 19th for seven days, 2,227 admissions. That's outside of a holiday date. This is huge. This was unheard of. 2,227 admissions outside of a holiday date. And no holdover. Nope. Didn't hold over films in those days just played the seven days took an absolute fortune and off it went quite frustrating really uh, looking back Um, did we think it was odd at the time I don't know I don't think so that was kind of the way it was so I'm being a bit revisionist here to think that it was frustrating me because it wasn't (laughs) there were many other things frustrating me coming up to 16 but ABBA the movie wasn't one of them uh, now, but actually, when you think of the following week, it was such a disaster. Uh, 254 admissions, so we went from 2227 admissions to 254 admissions. Oh dear, on the upside though, it was Ken Russell, uh, which being the insufferable teen I was, was much more up my street. Uh, Valentino was the film, uh, not. Not one of Ken's most (laughs) well-known, but I enjoyed it. I thought it was massively enjoyable, actually. It was a biopic of the silent movie megastar Rudolf Valentino. Um, Sir Ken, of course, played fast and loose with the truth, as he was fond of doing, but I don't care. Rudolf Nurev was cast as the Italian-born heartthrob whose premature death at the age of 31 caused mass hysteria among his thousands of female fans. Uh, all sorts of people in it Um, what's her name from the good life you know um, Felicity Kendall and uh, Carol Kane and uh, uh, oh um, Gigi (laughs) this is why I write this stuff down what's her name the French lady oh we'll get it anyway here's a tango that is in the film that's quite good fun Music by Stanley Black from Ken Russell's Valentino. Um, Leslie Caron, of course, is the name that I'm trying to remember. Um, And nobody came to see it. Yes, from two and a half grand, two and a half thousand admissions to 254 admissions. We can start to see why a one screen cinema is not consistent enough to remain viable. Uh, after a rather disappointing Easter business wise during which we were not running Saturday night fever to be fair though uh, there was a good reason it was an ex certificate um c i c who were releasing it wanted two weeks they were releasing c i c was the company that uh, was at universal paramount and m g m Banded together in Europe, uh, they wanted two weeks, ex certificate so we played uh, the last remake of Beaugest, and the already ancient Bugsy Malone instead. As you can imagine, had we had two screens, that may well have been different, but, you know, that's yet to come. Anyway, uh, sublime to the ridiculous now, um, The Stud, a TV release, which was a thing at the time. Um, it was on your tv area there was a good reason to play because it was tv advertised who could imagine such a thing uh which was you know unusual ish at the time uh based on a jackie collins novel and featuring her sister joan collins in various states of nudiness uh financed by ex-boxer and east end gangster george walker It was pretty ropey, actually. Um, Set in the London disco nightclub scene, it also starred Oliver Tobias, who reckoned it wrecked his career. (laughs) Sorry, Oliver, if you're listening. As he was, from that point, uh, always cast as a hunk. Poor thing. I can sympathise. It also had a big-selling disco soundtrack. In fact, uh, it was basically... Now, that's what I call the stud with lots of previous hits by Rose Royce, Hot Chocolate and the like. Um, I think it was probably the film was a lost leader to sell the album, I think, which sold pretty well. Uh, Although the film did pretty well. Uh, Crucially, actually, we played it in Uckfield; it was brand new and whipped up a respectable 1,345 curious people who wanted to see Joan Collins' boobies on April the 16th for seven days. So that's not bad at all, really, is it? Now, um... Here's uh, part of the soundtrack. Have I allowed for that part of the soundtrack? Yeah, let's have a bit of that. It's called uh, The Stud. Check this out. If if there's anything more sort of bad 1970s, I want to hear it. do the bidu orchestra Ugh. lots of shots of people dancing you know to lights moving and flicked hair and things wasn't the greatest track on the album cuz car wash was on it as well Anyway, that's from The Stud, which actually had a sequel. Uh, I don't know whether that made it into the 70s next year. Called The Bitch, which actually did better business. What's his game? He's The Stud. Oh, Oliver, you're so sexy. Joan, put them away. Let's have a break before it all gets too hot under the collar.
0: Kevin Markwick. 105 Uckfield FM. You think
4: he's gone? He's not gone. That's the whole point. He's never gone.
3: Oh man, I loved that one I've still got it in my big box of singles Not the cheese things The actual plastic things that you put on a record player Does that count as a dad joke? It's not even a joke It doesn't even count as a joke Let alone a dad one Uh, You're listening to Kevin Markwick. It's 1978 on the show tonight. Uh, What's happening is I grew up in a cinema, very fortunately, the local cinema, the Picture House in Upfield, that I still run. So I'm taking you through the decade, year by year, um, sort of filtered through the lens of a film nut and through the lens of trying to keep a provincial cinema afloat, which hasn't always been the easiest thing, to be honest. Um, you know, and so we're sort of fast approaching this time when uh, my dad is going to commit to spending quite a lot of money converting from one screen to two screens. Uh, This is actually the last whole year of one single screen, and I remember there was a lot of to and fro and builders and meetings and uh, all that kind of stuff going all the way through 78. Now, a couple of films uh, I loved at the time, uh, the first, the Goodbye Girl, which was written by Neil Simon and directed by Herbert Ross, I believe. Uh, Richard Dreyfus had won the Oscar for Best Actor earlier in the year, uh, who apparently it was he was the youngest actor ever to do that at the time, and that record stood until Adrian Brody won in 2050 for the Pianist, I believe. Uh, now, I, I remember we wanted to see this one, so uh, and we weren't playing it, so my mum and I went to Eastbourne to see it. I don't think we took my nan. <laughs> uh, that's a joke for people who've listened to the uh, other shows. Uh, and very much liked it. It was um, kind of... Uh, what was it about? It was about uh, an, um, a lady who's dumped on by her actress boyfriend, and she's got the flat, and no way of paying the rent... And he has sublet it to another actor, Elliot Garfield, played by uh, Richard Dreyfus. And so uh, they actually um, agree to share the flat because she's got the daughter, Quinn Cummings, playing her daughter, Lucy. And, um, and cue some very snappy Neil Simon dialogue. I mean, some really good stuff. No, no one writes dialogue as well as Neil Simon. All that snappy, snappy, you know. Um, I can't think of any, any of it off the top of my head right now and I wouldn't do it justice anyway uh, and it's, it's great fun I mean the cynical 50 year old in me now finds it a bit saccharine um, and also that trick of putting words in the mouth of a child that are um, grown up words I always think that doesn't work quite, you know, sort of, it's not even wise beyond their years. They're kind of a, that's not a thing a child would say, but it's funny, nevertheless. Uh, I'd still watch it if you put it in front of me. Um, Richard Dreyfus struggling with a very badly directed uh, performance as Richard III, actually. He's <laughs> still hilarious and worth looking out for. Now, as I say, we didn't play it uh, at that point because my dad seemed to have an irrational dislike of Richard Dreyfus. Don't know why, maybe something to do with Jaws. Difficult to say. Anyway, it also had a hit song, actually, uh, by the leasing of bread, David Gates.
2: Darling, you must trust them just once more you Goodbye, girl, because now you're
4: Oh.
3: David Gates, The Goodbye Girl, not a dry eye in a house, a big romantic slushy ending. Uh, and actually, we did um, talk him into playing it in the end, <laughs> but it didn't do much, and he'd never let me forget it. Uh, Played five days, April the 16th, 411 emissions, which, let's face it, is no worse than many of the other films around at the time, but there you go. Uh, The Sunday two-day booking that week, actually, was uh, The Enforcer, coupled with Dog Day Afternoon. So, again, harking back to one of the earlier shows, it did play eventually, just for a two-day booking, in April 1978. Uh, Dog Day Afternoon, I mean. Next up. A film that, uh, despite all the other stuff recently, uh, remains in my top five films of all time. Woody Allen's Annie Hall, which had won the Academy Award for Best Picture at the Oscars that year, along with uh, director and screenplay for Alan and actress for Diane Keaton as Annie. Uh, comedy, uh, the comedy about a relationship between a Jewish New York comedian and a slightly ditzy uh, wasp played by uh, Diane Keaton, played magnificently by Diane Keaton. La-dee-da, la-dee-da. I was besotted with it. Why? I was 15. It was a million, million miles away from me. I'm not Jewish. I'm not American. I certainly didn't have any idea about girls, I wouldn't have known one end from another, let alone complex relationships or therapy or pretty much anything in the film, really. But I adored it. Um... We went, uh, actually, we went in the school minibus to the Odeon in Brighton. And uh, it was our English teacher who I've mentioned before, I think, on the show, Reg Winston. He took us down. There was a, I don't know how many there were, six or seven or eight of us. I don't know. There was a girl I had a terrible crush on at the time going, though. I remember that. Um, It made me feel smart, I suppose. I don't know, that I sort of understood it um, because it was sophisticated, you know, um, I loved the stream of consciousness style narrative. That, that hit me straight away. Alvi telling us the story in flashback. And I'm not sure I'd seen such daring cinematic tricks as the opening of the film uh, with a piece to camera uh, before. Or the characters in the story addressing the camera directly and the sort of fractured narrative. We see the beginning, we see the end. You know, it's like a yeah stream of consciousness. And actually, I'm still besotted with it. Actually, now I'm talking about it. I want to see it again. I can watch it any number of times. I never tire of it. And it's funny and, uh, you know, and it's actually... Um, a move away from the out-and-out comedy uh, Alan had been making like Sleeper and Love and Death and Bananas to a more mature form. I think it's the perfect balance, actually, between the two before he would go on and make films like Interiors and Shadows and Fog and that more serious uh, Ingmar Bergman-influenced um, uh, stuff. I mean, all his films were ultimately influenced by Bergman in some way or another. Um, and it, uh, it's just <laughs> it's just wonderful and um, also revealed that Diane Keaton has a good voice as she tries to uh, compete with the talking audiences and the kitchen crashing plates as she sings for the first time in public.
0: Seems like...
3: Wonderful, um, Diane Keaton singing seems like old times. Uh, she was so terribly nervous about singing in public for the first time, uh, and um, yeah, oh man, I love that film. Uh, <laughs> is that the scene where they meet um, Paul Simon and you know Alvy Singer, who Woody Allen was playing, wouldn't go and hang out with him because he was such a miserable git? You know, I don't like mellow because I have a tendency to ripen and then rot. Um, <laughs> And it did play in Uckfield, eventually, actually, uh, and did okay business, actually, considering how late it played. It was released in September 1977 uh, and finally arrived in Uckfield on May the 21st, 1978 uh, for seven days, 687 admissions. But um, did you see Annie Hall in Uckfield in 1978? Did you see anywhere else in 1978? Do get in touch with the show, at Kevin Markwick on Twitter. Um, or the Kevin Markwick show on the Facebook page or any other way and if you're listening to the podcast thank you for downloading really appreciate it and it would be great to hear from you as well uh, if you can hit me up on Twitter with some suggestions what you like what you don't like um, because we're getting more and more downloads which is fantastic news so uh, I really do appreciate that uh, that was Annie Hall which is actually what they call an out of balance story there we are that was interesting because Alvi doesn't change everyone else changes the thing we like about, you know, you're always told to write a movie where the character goes through a transformation and arc. But Woody Allen films, he never changes. He doesn't change at all, and it ends with that fantastic sequence. That in. And shot in long shot, actually, which uh, another small uh, bit of trivia, the, the, the woman that Woody Allen, Alvy, is with at the end of the film that you see in the distance is actually Sigourney Weaver. Um, and he tells a joke about the... Um, uh, my brother thinks he's a chicken so, and the doctor says why don't you turn him in he said well we would but we need the eggs <laughs> and all that stuff, okay I've gone on too long uh, I've already missed two films shall I tell you what they are, I might do it at the end uh, we'll have a break and uh, what are we doing when we come back uh, we are doing, oh John is upon us
0: Kevin Markwick 105 Uckfield FM <laughs>
3: No substitute for quality, is there? a uh, better than the stud by a measure of millionness. B.G. Staying Alive uh, from the soundtrack album. Of course, here was the first big Travolta film of 1978, Saturday Night Fever, a combination of Travolta's popularity with the ladies and a massive-selling soundtrack album made this film a monster hit. In truth, it's not really a cloud-pleasing celebration of disco dancing, to be honest. It's actually quite downer. Um, It's more of a slightly ham-fisted slice. Ham? Slice? Kevin, what kind of sentence is that? Uh, Of social realism. (laughs) With some good tunes thrown in. Uh... Travolta actually is a little old to be playing the 19-year-old Tony Manero, who lives uh, with his working-class parents in Brooklyn and working at a dead-end job in a paint store. But on Saturday night at the 2001 Odyssey Disco, Tony is king of all he surveys, as he and his friends hold court at the... um, as they call themselves the Faces, don't they? Hey, we're the Faces. Um, And Tony is the star on the dance floor Uh, the dancing scenes are actually hypnotic Um, I sat through it again last night I thought I haven't seen it for about probably 30 years so um, I'm going to sit through it and I enjoyed it I have to say Um, it drags a bit at the end and it's a little unclear at the end Um, particularly the way the kid dies on the bridge and then no one talks about him much he just goes off and Um, see the lady at the end um uh stephanie um you know and actually his feeling that a bigger and more meaningful world is just slightly out of his grasp is well portrayed by travolta to be fair Uh, a victim as much of of his upbringing as well as the cocksure callowness uh of his youth now um yeah, so well, I also, actually it was uh, at a time I was learning how to show films and we were showing it at the Tivoli Cinema in Eastbourne which we had for a few years in the mid to late 70s and um it had been running round at the ABC because the Tivoli was second run. We had to play films after the ABC and the Curzon in Eastbourne. Uh, and it had been playing, I think, 16 weeks was the, this magic number. Why that sticks in my head, I don't know. Maybe it's because I was coming up to 16. Anyway. Um, and so, actually, the projectionist from the ABC bought the print round to the Tivoli. It was just round the corner. Uh, and I remember making it up and putting it on the spools and we showed this thing and I was there for the, most of that first weekend we were showing it in Eastbourne. I don't have the date. Uh, I haven't got the Eastbourne numbers like I have for Arcfield. Um And it was about the third showing that I suddenly realised that the whole dance competition <laughs> <laughs> sequence at the end was missing. It was not there. Um, I assume, I think what happened was it got damaged uh, with film, if you damage film, you have to kind of cut the damaged bits out and um, otherwise it won't run properly. So any damage to, to a print film print had to be removed. Now, I'm assuming they must have mangled up real seven or whatever it was, real six. And that whole sequence was missing. But the oddest thing about it was nobody complained. Nobody noticed we did get a following, uh, we got a print down I think on the Monday or Tuesday but how strange is that, the whole big denouement of the film the big dance sequence that you go and see the whole film for at the end, completely missing and nobody noticed makes you wonder really doesn't it anyway, Saturday Night Fever eventually played upfield uh, on July the 22nd for seven days remember it had gone out in the Easter earlier in the year Uh, and so many of my friends (laughs) because we were at school at the time uh, even though they knew me and uh, all the rest of it, I couldn't get involved in those kind of shenanigans. Were desperate to get in, putting on big shoes and more makeup. The girls were putting on more makeup to try and make themselves look older <laughs> to get in, because it was an ex certificate. Um, I don't think you would get an X certificate now. It's quite um, quite tame, really. Well, no, it's kind of racist and sexist, and there's some nudie ladies. Um, uh, so I I think it would get a 15 now is what it was anyway uh, whether they got any or not I have no memory (laughs) Uh, I did hey because you know my dad owned the cinema I saw it Um, there were 1,272 admissions actually which is great I mean really considering how late it was Uh, the soundtrack album featured all the Bee Gees tracks as well as a host of other subsequent hits at the time Uh, it seemed actually um all the disco records in the charts and being played actually at the youth club disco on a monday night which was the place to be that was our own odyssey 2000 uh were from saturday night fever and it remains the biggest selling soundtrack album of all time now here's a scene and a track from the film uh, you should be dancing by the bgs that forms the background of one of tony Monero's amazing solo dances on the dance floor at the nightclub um And, of course, this has been copied time and time again. Um, You know, there's the big uh, fantastic scene in P.T. Anderson's Boogie Nights, which is almost a direct lift (laughs) of uh, Saturday Night Fever. Anyway, um, there's a bit of dialogue and then into the music.
2: Hey, Mr. Manero, can I talk to you for a second? Hey, what's he doing? Right. Frank, yeah, Frank, yeah. Oh, forget this. Look out. Give the kids some right. room. He's taking over again. Oh, yeah. Hooray. Go. Don't do it. Don't do you, don't do that.
3: There you go from. Oh, <laughs> turn my monitor up. That's better. Um, from Saturday Night Fever, you should be dancing the Bee Gees, which was, you know, good stuff really in the end. Um, the following week, we showed a Hal Robbins adaptation called the Betsy, which was Total Pants uh, and had a total of 274 admissions in seven days. No holdovers was beginning to be a rather damaging policy uh, OK so here's something nice actually um, Warren Beatty, it's a very agreeable romantic comedy Heaven Can Wait which never played Upfield uh, which was a shame um, why I have no idea to be honest I actually only discovered it probably in the early 80s when I rented it <laughs> on VHS it had completely passed me by, completely passed upfield by, which was a shame, really, because it was a very agreeable romantic comedy. Um, Judy Christie, um, Charles Grodin, Warren Beatty... Did I say Warren Beatty? I'm reading the same sentence twice. It's like it's like reading when you get to bed. <laughs> uh, and actually, it was co-directed by Warren Beatty and the great Buck Henry. It was... Um, Kind of a story, well Heaven Can Wait is is a story that's been done several times over the years about someone who dies and they're not meant to die. So the angels or the people that are in charge in heaven have to find that person another body to go into. Now, BT is a, a NFL quarterback and he was about to go to the Super Bowl. So he insists they find him a body that could go to the Super Bowl, which just happens to be this really selfish, horrible uh, guy called uh, Mr. Farnsworth, who uh, who is so rich he buys the LA Rams. <laughs> buys his way to the Super Bowl. Who would ever think football could be bought and all that kind of stuff? Anyway, it was great. And it had Charles Grodin, who's the most underrated comedy actor of all time uh in it as well so uh does it get much recognition now i'm not sure you don't see it very often i don't think on the tv and the end Ah, oh, just yeah um so dave Grusin wrote the music uh and this is this is it There you go that's quite pleasant and romantic isn't it uh dave Grusin's music from heaven can wait now after the success of jaws that went well didn't it <laughs> uh, after the success of jaws it was inevitable they would start to raid other peter benchley novels uh, the deep was a hit in the us and actually had a bigger opening weekend than jaws Largely because it opened on many more screens. I mean, it wouldn't end up grossing anything like that film. Uh, Can anyone actually remember the plot? I remember sitting through it. Uh, And I have a very clear memory of not knowing what the hell was going on. Predictably, my only memory of it is Jacqueline Bisset swimming in a see-through T-shirt and black bikini bottoms. I was 15 for God's sake. Peter Gruber, the producer, claimed that scene helped make the film a success, quoted as saying, That t-shirt made me a rich man. (sighs) Directed by British director Peter Yates, uh, the fine director of *Bullet* and the Friends of Eddie Coyle, and the hugely underrated uh, cycling comedy Breaking Away. It also had a score by the great John Barry. We like John Barry. But you know that don't you 533 admissions on june the 18th for seven days having been released the december before anyway this is the music unmistakably, a John Barry score. I don't, I don't really know one that, that one that well. I might investigate further. It sounds rather good. From the Deep. I don't know. There was something buried at the... Ah, who knows? Nick Nolte was in it as well. I think I read the book as well. Anyway, I'm over, 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 of course, Um, so uh, here's a break and when we come back, uh, one of the big ones.
2: May we remind you that for the convenience of those patrons who prefer not to smoke, seating areas on the right-hand side of this auditorium have been designated as no smoking
3: areas. Your cooperation is appreciated.
0: Kevin Markwick. 105 Uckfield FM.
3: John Williams' main theme from Star Wars. Star Wars. (laughs) Star Wars. There really isn't anything I can say about this film that hasn't been said before, is there? I mean, it's just been talked about endlessly, dissected. And you've heard the story about it being released on Boxing Day 77 and why it didn't play then. <laughs> so at the risk of over-egging the story, what did we play for those four weeks instead? While everyone else was playing Star Wars. So, the first week of No Star Wars was a rerun of the Disney film Swiss Family Robinson. <laughs> from 1960, with John Mills and Dorothy McGuire. Actually, a surprising 962 admissions. Uh, second week of No Star Wars was a rerun of Where Eagles Dare. What was that, 1968? Well, at least it wasn't as old as Swiss Family Robinson. Uh, that was for two days, and then a double feature of the two James Herriot films, which always did well in Upfield All Creatures Great and Small, and It Shouldn't Happen to a Vet, totaling 826 admissions. On January the 15th, the third week of not playing Star Wars, irony of ironies, <laughs> a rerun of Jaws, which brought in 657 admissions. Now, if you were listening to uh, 75-6, you'll know that we didn't play Jaws for the same reason we didn't play Star Wars, that we w- he wouldn't play it for four weeks, so we didn't play it on the date. And finally, on January the 22nd, for seven whole Rebel Alliance-free days, a rerun of The Sting. (laughs) From what, 72? Something like that? Uh, For which 591 hardy souls bought tickets. So, a total of 3,036 admissions in four weeks. We would probably have had that week one of Star Wars. Given that when it finally played on August the 13th, 1978, eight months after release, for two weeks, Fox still insisted on two weeks at the time. It's just about cope with two weeks. I think the terms were still high though. I do remember that. Now I'm talking about it, the terms were still high, like 60% or something. Uh, yeah, so uh, two weeks, it conjured up 2,188 admissions, week one, and 1,514 admissions, week two. So it's not beyond the realms of possibility, you know, that, uh, well, we'd have had that 3,000 admissions in, yeah, in week one. Do you think there's a good chance I should let this go now? <laughs> that I've, I've told you all this story that's been boiling up inside me for the last 45 years. Beware the dark forces of conservatism. <laughs> the sad truth is I was probably already a little too old to be caught in the film's trap anyway. The way many uh, of you I know are. You know, I was nearly 16. Don't get me wrong, I loved it and continue to love it, but I was not buying into it in the way a 12 year old would. I was already smitten with Annie Hall, remember? (laughs) I was just a weird kid. I have a clear memory of working that summer though, and going into the cinema every performance to simply watch the opening shot as the Star Destroyer keeps on coming and coming and coming. And it's difficult for newer generations to understand Just how thrilling that was at the time. We'd never seen anything like it. Uh, You're all used to it now. You know, you see it on the telly every five minutes. The same applies to the opening sequence, actually, of Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, a few years later in the early 80s. Um, I used to go in and watch that. Uh, We're so used to it, it's impossible to remember how different it was. Uh, So, one last track then from Star Wars. I still actually have the soundtrack double album I bought back then. It's a bit dog-eared now. Like me Uh, and remember I have a great I have a strong memory of unsuccessfully trying to convince my dad that this really was he was a big classical music fan that this really was proper music by playing in this track um, Princess Leia's theme Still good, uh, Leia's theme from the original soundtrack album, Star Wars, played by the London Symphony Orchestra. Um, and nope, there was no convincing him. <laughs> nope, that's not proper music. I don't think he said it. it's not proper music, but no, wouldn't give in. Star Wars, boring. Um, so yes, you're listening to Kevin Markwick. At, and uh, it's a Monday night. It's just gone half past eight. Um, oh, a time check. I don't do those very often. Um, and we're going through 1978 in my uh, trawl, would that be the word? Crawl. <laughs> Desperate attempt to get through the 1970s uh, in my cinema, uh, The Picture House in Uckfield, as a film buff and as a kid growing up and trying to sort of make sense of it all, uh, which was next to impossible, really um so do please get in touch uh with the show if you can uh did you go to the cinema in upfield in the 70s in the 80s in the 90s anytime just get in touch uh at kevin markwick on twitter you can uh, hit me up on the facebook page the kevin markwick show or uh any other number any other way yeah, i'm easy to find really i'm the most easy guy in upfield to find um so, please do that. And if you listen to the podcast, get in touch as well because it's great to have you on board. Um, so, we'll take a break now. And when we come back, more John Williams. Now is the
4: time. Time for ice cream. Ice cream time. It's ice cream time with Lion's made. Ice cream time with Lion's Mate.
0: Kevin Markwick. 105. Uckfield FM.
2: Ooh, that's a bingo! (laughs)
3: part of John Williams' score for Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Steven Spielberg's follow-up, actually, to Jaws. It was the film he made after that. Uh, So if I was a fan of Star Wars but not obsessed, uh, Close Encounters, however, was a different kettle of fish. Um, Once again, (laughs) the decision was taken to wait... I think he'd been to a trade show. Um, That's what they used to call screenings for exhibitors in those days, trade shows. And actually, by law at the time, they had to show it to us. Uh, Sadly, that doesn't always happen anymore. Uh, And I think he decided he didn't like it much. (sighs) Why? Uh, But that may be me misremembering because I was a grumpy hormonal teenager. Um, But this time, I went to Brighton. Uh, to see it, Odeon 2 in Brighton, when it was a properly big cinema. Um, It's sadly been carved up now, but back then it had 950 seats, and more importantly, stereophonic sound. Now, the nerd in me is going to bore you here with, uh, I'm not sure if it was magnetic sound, where there's literally tape on the edges of the film that contain the left, right, centre and surround channels, which is the way stereo sound had been done through the 40s, 50s, and through the 60s or was it um I don't, it may have been the very new dolby stereo optical process, which was printed on the film it was done quite differently i can tell you i can tell you get email me i'll tell you how it's all done <laughs> i don't think i'm going to get any emails am I, on that one uh no uh, they'd been running star wars in there all summer which is one of the very early dolby stereo films so it's possible it was dolby anyway i don't think it was 70 mil because the 70 mil was only in screen one which was actually smaller ironically anyway but the opening sequence in stereo was a revelation to me the crashing chord that we just heard at the beginning of that track that opens the film and then the swirling desert wind on all the surround speakers made a profound impact on me Um, and i have to say i've kind of been trying to recreate that experience in my own cinema since Stereo sound in cinemas didn't become the norm until ooh, the mid to late 80s, actually, uh, when Dolby Stereo became cheaper, and then we moved into Dolby Digital. But um, we recently ran Close Encounters in Screen One, Arcfield, on a DCP on digital print, and I have to say, I think I had the same experience all over again. I was actually quite, <laughs> I was quite moved that it sounded exactly how i remember it sounding back in 1978 whether it did or not it's difficult to say uh audio memory is notoriously short it lasts about a minute and a half so 40 years ago i don't know but it certainly uh, had a massive impact on me and and I, I always wanted to recreate that experience i'm sure i'm the only one who noticed but it made me happy uh, and the film actually was one of uh, the first experiences I had of not being able to shake a film off for days and days afterwards. It uh, just stayed with me. It might have just been my hormones, of course. <laughs> they were pretty raging at the time. Uh, obviously, it's the law that all films over a certain budget at that time must have a John Williams musical score, and Close Encounters, of course, was no different. Um Have we got time for this one? Yeah, we have, we're bang on actually. Uh, This is one of my favorite cues called, I can't believe it's real. I can't believe it's real. From the soundtrack uh, album uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind by John Williams. Um, It was actually released in March 1978 in the UK and finally played outfield for two weeks on September the 3rd. It was a kind of schizophrenic couple of weeks, actually. 1,252 admissions the first week and 537 admissions the second. Why would that be, do you think? It was something to do with the kids going back to school. I remember him being really grumpy about it. (laughs) Uh, But that's quite a big drop, isn't it? And the same number of shows. I don't know. Uh, Anyway, then came the monster. Is the word Frankie Avalon? Yeah, that was the only credits, wasn't it? Difficult to describe, actually, just how mad the country had gone for Greece. All summer long, the soundtrack had been selling by the crate load, and the single You're the One I Want had been number one for nine weeks throughout July and August. The video uh, actually being the end of the film, isn't it? We didn't really think about that at the time, but what a spoiler alert! It was the end of the film. It was on Top of the Pops every week. And everything else. Swap Shop, probably. And whatever was on ITV at the time. Dunno. Magpie. I don't know. Uh, so by the release date of September the 17th, demand had reached fever pitch. Uh, from time to time in this business, the cinema... It's kind of odd. It becomes the focus of everyone's attention. Um, it's quite nice when that happens. You know, everybody is focused on the cinema just for that brief moment Uh, it happens with bomb films Mamma Mia films (laughs) that sort of thing Greece, though was second level stuff it really was Um, and we played it on date week one 2,901 admissions week two 2,111 admissions and then incredibly a week three our first ever holdover Um, it had only been booked for two weeks but it was so huge (laughs) you couldn't take it off oh no 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 Uh, he moved convoy actually out of the way i know that because i looked it up in the book what's been scribbled out of my book and it was convoy Um, and held greece for a third week uh, when it brought in another 1558 admissions. These days, we would suggest there was at least another four weeks in that and the rest probably. Incredibly, actually, and also those figures were on once nightly. So it played one performance a night. Uh, The times for Greece actually were Sunday at 4.45 and 7.30 and then nightly at 8 o'clock with a matinee on Saturday at 2.30. I think we've talked about this before, haven't we? Um, So we had a 2.30 show which came off about 5.30, 5.30, and then all went in for tea. <laughs> Came back at seven, 7.30. You could have stuck another whole show in there, filled it up with another 300 people. Bizarre, isn't it? It was such a phenomenon, actually. The local paper sent photographers down to record the huge queue snaking around the building on the first Saturday afternoon. Because, uh, again, we talked about that. We didn't let people in. Not in those days. Oh, no, you waited outside until it was time to open the doors. Rain or shine, hilarious. Could you imagine getting away with that now? Anyway, crazy times, and actually, all through this, he was preparing to shut the cinema down in the new year for six months. So it was probably kind of manner from heaven at the time because he was trying to work out how to finance it all, and uh, and then suddenly this film, this massive film, comes in. Anyway, um, I don't know. He didn't discuss it with me. I was at school. <laughs> Greece, rather like Abbott refuses to die. Uh, We still play it now, usually in the sing-along version, and it always sells out. (sighs) Man, that film is never going to leave me alone, is it?
2: Your story sad to tell a teenage ne'er-do-well Most mixed-up, non-delinquent, on the block Your future so unclear now What's left of your career now Can't even get a trade-in on your smile dropout, no graduation day for you, beauty school dropout, missed your midterms and flunked shampoo, well at least you could have taken time to wash and clean your clothes up, after spending all that dough to have. the doctor fixed your nose up, baby get
1: moving,
2: why can't your feeble hopes alive. What are you proving? What are you proving? you got the dream, but not the drive If you go for your diploma You could join a steno group Turn in your tees and comb And go back to high school Beauty school dropout Around the corner store Beauty school dropout. dropout It's about time you knew the score Well they couldn't teach you anything You think you're such a lucker But no customer would go to you Unless she was a hooker <laughs> Baby don't sweat it
3: Frankie Avalon, again. I played the two I can just about bear to listen to. Isn't that terrible? Sorry, everyone. But it's it's followed me my whole life. From Greece, which continues to make me lots of money, so I should complain. That's uh, more or less it. I'll have a break, and when we come back, we'll talk about... What the blinking hell are we gonna do next year? Kevin Markwick.
0: 105, Uckfield FM.
2: He's more machine now than man. Twisted and evil. Go on back where you belong, jail.
4: Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I sense enthusiasm, I sense loving response.
3: Here we are then, it's over. 1978 is over. And we finished it with this thing.
4: I've been bringing cures from Pilgrim Heights to
3: Town. Pete's Dragon.
4: Down on Queen Anne Road.
3: Jim Dale. <laughs> Helen Reddy. So bro- Mickey Rooney. And
4: burns
3: and- An animated dragon. What's not to like?
4: Little-
3: I remember it snowed. It
4: was so nice to visit.
3: What I also remember is that we'd already started the work. It was a big thing. Right at the end of uh, November, we started the work to convert to two screens. And uh, we weren't closed... Uh, Initially, what we did was we dug the back of the stools up. Now, if you're out there and you remember, you'll know what I'm talking about. You know, cinemas have a stools area and we had a balcony area, not a circle, a balcony. And because we needed new toilet, I'll explain all of this next week, uh, but we needed new toilets because we didn't have any toilets really to speak of. We had one tiny ladies' toilet and the gents was outside round the back and up the end of the passage. So to drag ourselves into the coming 80s, Uh, He needed to spend money on better facilities, new toilets and uh, two screens. And it was visionary really, it saved us to be honest, well of course it did because I'm still here talking to you. And it was a very brave decision to make. So Peach Dragon was the last film of
4: 1978.
3: Uh, Three weeks, 1,012 admissions, 972 admissions and 824 admissions. There would be two more films that played after that, and then we shut down. Uh, Warship Down on Jan 7, and uh, Death Wish on Lipstick. Ugh, on the very last night, on January the 14th, a uh, Sunday, and that was the last time it was a single screen.
0: Doctor, doctor, doctor. All I'm asking for...
3: And uh, I was there. I remember being there and watching the tabs close, the curtains close, and that was it. It was the end of the single screen. Pay for it and we were shut for three months
4: One dollar, sir.
3: so what I'm going to film next week's show I
4: <laughs> have no idea
3: no I do because obviously we had two screens when we owned more films you see see what we did there but it was a big event it's difficult again I keep saying that it's difficult to kind of imagine what a big thing it was to do uh, independents weren't really doing it um, that much at the time circuits had already cut them up into horrible yucky boxes but less independents huh? there was still a lot of um, old flea pit independence about not that we were one of those anyway that's it uh, thank you for listening it's been great to have you along please let me know what you think of the show if you listen to the podcast thank you very very much uh, it's great to have you uh, I've really enjoyed it tonight Actually, it's been great um And I'll leave you with Jim Dale and all these people uh, from Pete's Dragon. And I'll see you next week for 1979, a watershed year in the cinema. And then we'll all work out what we're going to do in 1980. Because we're not going to do 1980. We'll figure something else. It'll be fun. Maybe we'll do a review of the year. That'd be good, wouldn't it? Anyway, night, night. I love you all. Bye.
4: Qua quasi, no pa quu no no Passama sa ma massi, qua da ma padi, daddy, qua da passi, qua da ma daddy, da pa mashi qua da passi, pa sa pa sa pa